Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I actually have a really, I have a really good example from a, a manufacturing client I had a few years ago. This is about a company about 34 employees. They manufactured or still manufacture industrial screw driving systems. So like the big arms that'll put a thousand screws in in a minute kind of a thing. And it's a 14 week production process. They brought me in because they had of the 34 employees, there were 13 that were on the list to be fired. Essentially, they had a cultural nightmare. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Hey, hey, this is Tyler. If you've ever wondered how to make your business stand out, this is the episode for you. Today, we dive into the art of strategic identity with Dave Newell, our special guest who transformed quick trip gas stations by simply keeping the bathrooms clean. Well, a little more than that, but you will hear about it. Here's what we discuss. Balancing authority with enrollment, how Domino's reshaped their identity by zeroing in on customer pain points, and why understanding your company's five facets could be the game changer you need. Stick around to discover actionable advice on scaling your business, whether you're jumping from five to 50 employees or beyond. Get ready to align the misaligned and be sure not to miss out on Dave's exclusive offer for our listeners. Let's unlock the full potential of your business together. Here we go. Hey, Dave, welcome to the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How's it going today? It's going great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being here. Hey, I'd love to start out with learning a little bit about you. What do you do professionally? I am an organizational development consultant. I work mostly with what I would refer to as small to mid-sized companies. So the 5 to 50 to 100 employees is typically where we we spend most of our time. And we align kind of five systems of business we call the five facets. And so that is, you know, my day in, day out, every day, every week, working with business leaders and doing organizational development work. Very cool. And then can you share something about yourself personally? I know you're... You've got 50 plus animals. I know that's one thing. Yeah. What else can you tell us about you a little bit? Yeah. So uh, in my spare time, I am a dad of three daughters uh, who are kind of the teenage years and a little bit younger, but we have a hobby farm. So we've got horses and goats and chickens. And and so I spend a lot of time on a tractor on the weekends. Uh, when I'm not doing heady work, I'm doing physical work, which is a nice balance, which is a nice balance for sure. That is so cool. You got to have one of those farms where people like one of those petting farms. There's, I don't even know where it's at, but I happen to run into it on TikTok and they actually have cows and you go there to hug the cows. Yeah. I mean, we have <laughs> these goats that we have, like our kids will have their friends over and they'll do, you know, essentially like goat play, like goat walks, we call them. They'll walk in the woods and the goats will follow them and they'll jump on their backs. And like, it's, it's just, you know, it's like goat therapy. My, my oldest calls it goat therapy. Like she'll just walk in the woods and you know, be playing with the goats and grabbing leaves and feeding them and whatever. And it's like, she does that after school and decompresses a little bit and then is ready to go for the rest of the day. It's pretty good stuff. 
That's awesome. Yeah. I, I'd love to be able to say, hey, I need some goat therapy. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, hey, so I want to get into starting this conversation. Misalignment is a word I'll hear a lot of times, especially with small businesses, medium-sized businesses. Can you define what, what does misalignment mean to you? And then what, what impact does that have on business owners? Yeah, so misalignment, I think, has really two components to it. It's when okay. the, the people in the organization and the systems in the organization are not moving in the same direction. That takes many forms. That manifests itself in many ways, right? You might have disgruntled employees. You might have poor execution. You might have staff meetings that people hate, et cetera, et cetera. Like that, that manifests itself in many ways. And companies are really in three stages at any given time in their organization. They're in misalignment, they're in alignment, and then they're in realignment. And so misalignment is when the systems and people aren't moving in the same direction. Alignment is when you have you know, clear goals, clear targets. Everybody's moving in that direction. They're fired up. They're energized about it. Nobody's unclear. And then realignment is the act of moving from misalignment to realignment. And that's often where we meet organizations is in the realignment space is what we would say. And, you know, when you're in misalignment, what you're experiencing is all the symptoms. Like you're seeing the disgruntled employees, bad internal communication systems. You're not closing deals the way you want to be closing deals. Right, those are all the outputs. And the way to get back towards alignment is to actually dig into well, what are the systems that are causing these problems, not the symptoms? The symptoms are just the indicators that you're in misalignment. So turnover would be probably an example of misalignment. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's say we have a company with high turnover. How do we diagnose that? Like what are I mean, where when you say systems like what system should I be thinking when I say, okay, I've got high turn. I come to you, I got high turnover. What are you thinking? Kind of take me through that if you want in mind. Yeah. So I actually have a really, I have a really good example from a, a manufacturing client I had a few years ago. This is about a company, about 34 employees. Uh, they manufactured or still manufacture industrial screw driving systems. So like the, the big arms that'll put a thousand screws in, in a minute kind of a thing. And it's a six or 14 week production process. They brought me in because they had, of the 34 employees, there were 13 that were on the list to be fired, essentially. They had a cultural nightmare. So they brought me in for a cultural reason. And what we realized is that what was causing the problem, or in this instance, in in your case, like a turnover problem, was they didn't have any documented processes. And they had seven stages of the manufacturing process, and nobody knew what the other departments were doing. And it was causing all the conditions for conflict. So all we did is we pulled a group together. We called it a coalition. We pulled a group of folks together to document processes so that each department knew what the other folks were doing. In two weeks, we had we went from 13 people that were about ready to be fired to one, and they were cutting two weeks off the production process. So when you see high turnover, high turnover is usually the result of something else. And so to discern that, there's kind of two pathways that we offer to help get to what we call kind of systems problems, not symptoms. Like the symptoms, again, are kind of the indicators that show us, hey, we have something that we need to deal with here. And more often than not, most business leaders look at the symptoms and try to deal with the symptom. Oh, we have high turnover. Oh, we should we should add an incentive program or we should increase pay or we should do whatever. You're like, well, that's addressing the symptom. You're not dealing with the system. So you can take a, we have a quantitative assessment that folks can take uh, that'll help them see the system. It's called the, the five facets assessment. And then we also do an interview process uh, that we call causal mapping. And causal mapping, we really ask one question, but we ask it of most people in the organization, depending upon the size of the company. And that question is, what's in the way? And what we're listening for is whatever they tell us. 
take us wherever you want to go. And most people will just spit out, uh, well, it's this person and it's this thing and this thing isn't happening, like, et cetera, et cetera. And we look across all those interviews and we start to look at like, well, what are we hearing? What are we seeing? And what are the themes? And once you identify those themes, you start to look at causation. Start to say, okay, well, which ones lead to which ones? So turnover is one symptom, but it's probably embedded with other things that you're seeing that aren't working. And so you start to look at that complexity and then you get into, you know, applying like the five facets elements to address those problems pretty directly. And you start to see, you start to see a shift pretty quickly because you're actually dealing with the system, not the symptom. Very cool. So I'll ask you in a second about the five facets because definitely want to learn about that. But want your opinion. So businesses, oftentimes you mentioned, you know, five, 10, whatever employees, you're a five person business. And then you go maybe to a 20 person business after a couple of years, and then you go to 50 and then you go to hundred, you know, things happen to those businesses as they're growing and scaling. What would be your advice around someone that's kind of, maybe they're really, we could say it for everyone. Someone that's at five going to the next step is 10, 20, then someone 20 has gone to what, 100. What do you see most commonly that kind of falls apart? What can you do to kind of make sure you're aligned as you're going through these transformations, frankly? Yeah, that's a really great question. I mean, I love that you use the word transformation because a $3 million is very different than a $10 million business. You have to function totally differently, right? Even you use same products, but you have to function differently. I see two obstacles. Number one is a mentality shift. And so we often say, you know, the kind of small, scrappy companies that, you know, get five employees and get to a million dollars or whatever the number is, they have what we call kind of the big dog operator mentality, which is they're just flying around solving problems and they solve all sorts of problems and they're really good at it. It's what got them to two million or three million or whatever the number is. It's what got them there, but it's not going to get them to 10. It's not going to get them to five or whatever that next number is. That's where you have to simplify and scale. And so, that big dog operator mentality is often where we meet organizations is when they hit that stuck point. And what I mean by that is they're not able to get past that. We They hit what we call the complexity threshold, which is, oh man, I've been flying around. I've been doing this for five years, 10 years, and I just cannot get from 3 million to 4 million. Like we are just sitting here and we're stuck and we can't figure it out. Or I'm overwhelmed, I'm burning out, et cetera. And so that mentality is kind of obstacle number one. And number two is when you get complex, it's it's a loss of what I would call kind of priority, right? There's this, we try to be too many things to too many people. And it is, it's almost weird to when you scale and get bigger that you actually have to simplify and streamline and do less. And that is a really hard concept or that's a really hard practice for folks to adopt sometimes because you feel like in order to get bigger, you have to add things and you have to do more, but really it's actually simplifying and scaling scaling the simple and streamlining the things that you're good at. And so it is actually almost like a retreat as opposed to a lean in, if that makes sense. So in your opinion, when do these systems types things, when should systems be implemented? Is it is it when you're a five-person company? Is it when you're a 10-person company? I was reading a book, and I'll tell you where I'm going with this. Yeah. I was reading a book, and someone's in the book, it said, I don't even want to talk to you until you're already at a certain level. And I can't remember the level because you don't even know the errors you've made yet and you won't even understand it if I talk to you too early. So I'm just curious, where do you kind of stand in that of where systems should be at? And then how much hardcore, more hard cutters get as you get bigger? 
Yeah, you know, there's no perfect answer to that question. I actually, I agree. I don't honestly work with startups very frequently, part because I want you to have some skin in the game and I want you to have some evidence that we can work with, right? So we can do all we want around target market. Like, let's say you have a product idea, you want to sell widgets, whatever it is, you have a product idea, but like, I don't know how to systematize that until we get punched in the face a few times, honestly, like until you have some good sales calls and you have some bad sales calls, you have some people who love the product, some people hate the product. Like, okay, now we've got something to work with. Now we can start to put some machinery in place. But I would honestly say like, fly around and solve problems for a little while and get, you know, cut your teeth a little bit. And then once you have that, okay, now you have some data in which to discern what works and what doesn't. You know, if you try to scale a system that doesn't work, it just means it's going to it's going to not work better. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be better at not working. Right, right. So you want to make sure you have some idea of what works and what doesn't and then scale the things that work and move away from the things that don't. It's hard to do that when you're a startup. It's hard to do that in year 1. You just kind of got to go and figure some stuff out. Year 3 is typically where we meet folks or later is once they've kind of established that baseline of clients or they've established that baseline of product or service or they've gotten good at certain aspects. Okay, now now that we have some evidence and we have some wins and we have some stability, now we can kind of shake the tree a little bit and see see what sticks. Yeah. What are the most common systems that you see within an organization that need to get addressed? Are there reoccurring ones or is it unique to every organization? You know, it's really interesting. So I'll I'll kind of bleed into the five facets here a little bit. Okay, great. So the five facets are culture, strategy, operations, story, and finance. And why I'm kind of leaning here now is what we often see is folks are often, or organizations are often good at two or three of those things. And the other two or three kind of drag them down. So they might be really good at sales and they have a great company culture and people love working there, but they can't get product out the door. They can't execute in a meaningful way. And so they're losing they're losing opportunity, they're causing frustration in the organization, or they mismanage their finances quite a bit. But I would say if I look across the organization, there's probably two or three things that are pretty consistent across organizations. One is, is financial. A lot of small businesses are really poor at kind of forecasting and managing and, and leading with profit in mind. They kind of scrape by, right? Like they're in that kind of bootstrapping mentality and they get caught in that. And so they don't necessarily figure out how to forecast or how to manage their finances for scalability. They manage their finances in terms of, can we make payroll this month or not? And am I going to be able to take anything home? And so there is just some subtle systems or some easy systems you can put in place on a financial side that really help to elevate an organization. And the other one, and it kind of pains me to say this a little bit, is a lot of businesses struggle with just what is our core business? Like, what is the one thing we do really well that we are not confused about so that our customers aren't confused about it? And did we design that process really intentionally kind of start to finish? And so one of the first processes I'll do with an organization is I'll say, from lead to product out the door or to service is done, just tell me what you do. Walk me through, start to finish. And you'd be amazed at how many customers can't do that. Well, you know, I mean, sometimes we do it like this and sometimes we do it like that. I don't know. It kind of matters. It kind of, you're like, okay, so you don't actually have kind of a repeatable core business. And that is really, really difficult to scale. So I would say that's number two. And then number three, and maybe the last one is 
kind of complementary, which is we don't necessarily have a clear vision for where the company is going and or we don't communicate that very well. So a couple people know, but not everybody knows. And so they don't make decisions or priority based on that. And so goal setting or you know executing kind of falls apart because it's not tied to anything bigger than that one person's job. And so work loses meaning or you start to see turnover. You start to see some of those things because people are like, why am I doing this? I don't understand why you're having me, you know, complete this paperwork. Why am I doing that? Yeah. What do you, you know, um, interesting. A lot of times I'll have uh, clients and when they first come to me, they'll say, hey, we do this. So they'll walk you through and then you'll start to look at maybe, and I'm making this up, but we bill $5,000 projects or more. That's the only type of projects we work on. And then you'll look at their details and it's like they've got multiple $1,000 or $2,000 projects and it way drags down what what their whole core is, what they're saying their core is. Do you have things like that happen as you're going through these introductory conversations? Maybe not to the numbers effect, but in terms of their core. And then what's that conversation look like? Because always it's kind of like a little bit awkward sometimes when you're talking with the owner and it's like you just said you're doing this but you're really doing that what does it look like for you i'm curious no it's a really great it's a really great piece and i like you i see that fairly frequently they'll say no 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 we only work on you know like uh, i've got a lot of uh, amazon kind of marketing agencies that i work with and they'll say oh no no we only take clients that are you know thirty five hundred dollars a month or more and i'm like yeah but you've got 10 over here that are paying you a thousand dollars and you're spending 50 percent of your time on these clients like is that is that what you want to do? And it's often, you know, the the benefit of being an outsider, you know, being the outside consultant is I can I can ask the stupid questions, I can poke at things, I can be like, do you is this what you want? And I don't know, I don't know the answer to that question. They might be like, yes, no, this is absolutely what we want. This is super central to what we do. And it's like, okay, well then give me the evidence and show me why this matters or why this is a good decision for your organization. But I can poke a bunch of holes. And what they don't often have is the benefit of a you know, person like you or me. Like I get coached. I have people asking me questions. I have people looking at my stuff because I'm like, I can't see it. It's, right. I have a client that says it's or it's hard to read the label from the inside of the bottle. I'm like, it really is. Like it's really beneficial to have somebody be like, is this what you want? Does this make sense to you? And you're like, actually, you know what? Now that you point that out, no, that doesn't make any sense. We absolutely shouldn't be doing that. You know, I do, I do find that you know, there's a certain story that people want to believe. And then there's the facts. And so our job is to poke into and challenge some of those assertions that they're making to discover new facts. And that's not a judgment. I make the same mistakes in my own business. Yeah. Yeah, we all do. That's so true. Culture. So when you're talking about culture and as a company's kind of growing, what, what do you see common problems there? What are some things that we could do as business owners to mitigate those problems? What, what are you thinking about when you go into a new client in terms of culture? Yeah. So with each of the five facets and culture in particular, I think is one that the folks don't often equate these two things. But each of the five facets has design elements and implementation elements. And from a cultural perspective, I think folks say, you know, hey, these are our values. And they put them up on the wall and maybe they talk about it once a year at the company gathering or whatever it might be. And that's the only time it gets mentioned and there's no other talk of it. And it's like, no, 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 people love it around here. And then you start, you know, walking around the halls and you're like, hey, what's it like here on your worst day? Like, oh man, it sucks. I hate this place. And you're like, oh, okay. Well, because, you know, the values on the wall, do those actually happen? They're like, well, I mean, not really. Nobody really holds anybody to account, et cetera. So I think a lot of companies do values or they do 
the exercise portion or the design portion of culture, but they don't often do the execution side of culture, which is, yeah, but how do we make those values stick? So I really like the analogy of, you know, it's one thing to put up a stop sign and it's another thing to enforce it. Meaning if nobody ever got pulled over for running through stop signs, people would run through stop signs all the time. I I can think of one right now, right? (laughs) On a normal drive that I have. So it's like, if nobody's enforcing it, nobody's going to live up to it. So those values become, are they tied to performance reviews? Do you have behaviors that are tied to those that make it tangible that people can control? Can we make those values objective? And are we actually, one, talking about them and two, you know, adding them to hiring and firing and reviews and those types of processes to ensure that it is just part of how we operate? is with this particular culture. So one of the things I see with culture is that we design it, but we don't actually operationalize it. If you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high-performing team members, and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button. Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business. Are we actually, one, talking about them and two, you know, adding them to hiring and firing and reviews and those types of processes to ensure that it is just part of how we operate is with this particular culture. So one of the things I see with culture is that we design it, but we don't actually operationalize it. How do you find what I see oftentimes when it comes to strategy, one of the facets is, you know, you kind of use that brute force kind of owner mentality where they're just so used to brute forcing everything. It's almost, it's what's built, got them to get there. How do you find that, that change of, well, let's start thinking a little bit more strategically. Like how does this align with your business? Where does that, does the conversation start with misalignment or where do you think, how do you get them to start thinking about strategy? Yeah. Well, it's a good question. The first, the first step for me is to discern the difference between strategy or strategic thinking and action planning. And to me, those are two very different things. I think folks often do action planning, which is, do we have goals for the quarter? And are you executing on your goals? Like, well, that's action planning. That's not strategy, right? Or they might say, oh, we're going to start doing social media as a strategy. I'm like, that's not a strategy. That's a tactic. That's a tool in which to accomplish whatever your strategy is. So one of the spaces we start is uh, on the strategy side, we call it a strategic identity. And strategic identity is kind of the highest level. I mean, think about it as like your main value proposition. Like what's the one thing that we kind of hang our hat on? And I'll give you a couple of examples that I think I use these examples with clients and you don't have to like these examples, right? Like they're not (laughs) your strategy. They are what they are. But like Southwest Airlines, what I would say their strategic identity is to be the low fare airline. Their strategy is to compete on price. It's a strategy. And so then every decision down the line, every goal setting thing should be tied towards, well, is that allowing us to be the low airfare airline or not? In North Carolina, we have uh, quick trip gas stations. I don't, I don't know if they have them out in California, but quick trip is their strategic identity is clean bathrooms, which is my wow. favorite one. Because if you think about, well, you can't really compete on Mountain Dew because everybody has Mountain Dew or Coke or whatever. And you can't really compete on gas because everybody has gas, maybe a few cents here and there. 
but what's the real reason why people choose, should I stop at this gas station or not? It's like, can I pee there and feel comfortable, <laughs> right? So it's like, that's a great strategy. It's a, And so if you ever go to a quick trip, they are totally designed with really big, beautiful doors that lead directly to these amazing bathrooms. And it's like, I would pick a quick trip over most other gas stations just because I know I'm going to be totally comfortable when I go in there, right? So that's hilarious. That's an example of a strategic identity. Like, what's the thing that's going to guide most of your other decision making? And so that gets me, you know, you talked about kind of the brute force piece. We think about the balance between authority and enrollment. And there's a tension between those two things. So authority is necessary. Sometimes you need to be able to say to somebody, hey, do this because I told you to. And that that's okay. It's okay to have authority. But if that's your only tool, you're going to have that turnover. You're going to have that burnout pretty fast because folks aren't going to feel heard, seen, or validated. And enrollment is do it because you believe in it. Do it because it's the right thing to do because you chose to join us. And that's an invitation. And what a strategic identity or what a high-level strategy does is it allows you to lever the enrollment side more because you're saying, hey, this vision, this strategy, this is what we're trying to do. So I'm getting you, I'm not asking your permission to have a strategic identity. I'm saying that this is what it is. How do you see what you do fitting into this, this bigger idea, this bigger topic? And so we try to we try to balance those two things from as opposed to just kind of a top-down do this because I told you to do it. It's, well, if we have a good enough company vision and we have a good enough sense of where we're going and we're doing a good job of communicating that and inviting you into that, we're going to be successful from a strategic perspective. Yeah, that's good stuff. We definitely don't have one of those quick trips. I think the the idea of having <laughs> a clean bathroom is like amazing yeah. because I didn't even think you were allowed to if you're a gas station to have a clean bathroom. <laughs> but that sounds, sounds like a really cool thing. Even the quick trip name is kind of a cool name. I mean, yeah. it's kind of catchy. Yeah, and they they exploded. Like they went from, you know, a few a few stores here in North Carolina to thousands pretty fast in part. So like they they picked a good, they, they were really thoughtful about what they chose and have obviously seen some success. I'm always fascinated when you find businesses, and I think we're seeing it a lot, but when you stop to recognize it, like how do you like make a gas station via marketing different? Like it's a gas station, like yeah, yeah. it sells cookies or little snacks if you want them, but how do you make it different? And just like you, you wouldn't just naturally think like a bathroom would be the differentiator, but it makes so much sense, right? Yeah. Well, and to your point, I mean, it's it's a user experience question, yeah. right? So, in designing the strategic identity, one of the things I say is, what would you say? What would you say you do, and what would your customers say that you do? Like, if you had to just you know guess, if you don't know the answer to that question, what what would your customers say you do? There's lots of examples of putting kind of customer a customer lens on your own processes and how you think about what you execute. Like I use uh, Domino's pizza as an example. I mean, it's a, you know, I won't comment on, you know, we've got diehard Domino's fans out there. I won't comment on the quality. I'll just say typically you can get like a 20 to $25 order, but what's the biggest pain point for a company that delivers products to you is knowing when it's going to arrive. Like that's my pain as a customer is I don't know when it's going to get here. So what's the thing that causes me pain? I don't know when it's going to arrive. So they created text messages to, they message you when it goes in the oven, they message you with the driver's name, and then they send you a map of where the driver is. They just dealt with the pain, right? It's like, it's brilliant. It's great. 
And then, not to get too much into Domino's, but their latest one with the emergency pizza. I mean, that is hilarious. So if you if you needed a pizza in an emergency, you'll get one on credit. I think that, and I'm sure there's upsells to that or whatever, where, you know, if someone does order emergency pizza, they end up ordering two other things. But it's just their marketing. What I, what I love when I see things like the gas station and then using Domino's as an example is sometimes you'll have clients come to you and they'll go, well... All I do is floors. Everybody does floors. Like there's nothing unique about what I do. And that's how they view their own business. And to me, it's kind of a little bit sad until you have a chance to talk with them and help them just kind of see the bigger picture. You can differentiate almost anything. Like, and I don't want to get on a marketing call, but it's just, it's just amazing. It blows my mind when you see these examples. Absolutely. I mean, I've worked with several, you know, construction-like companies. Like I had a company that designed like amazing pools. Right. And it was like, what's the biggest pain point that people deal with? Well, the contractor shows up for three days and then disappears and ghosts some people. I'm like, that's your biggest opportunity as a as a company. Like I can think of five neighbors that I have that have tried to implement something. And what's the thing they complain the most about? Like, well, they dropped off the material and I haven't heard from them in two weeks. I'm like, well, is that person likely to come back to your business or refer you? Probably not. Right. So it's like there's some easy pain points that you can solve if you just put the customer first. And thinking about, well, how can we how can we differentiate ourselves from the competition? Like you were saying, how do we do that? Well, we understand what our customer needs and we actually did something about it. And I think the focus there is really changing from what do we do? Like what's and, and answering the question, what's it for? Like, what are we really trying to do here? Are we trying to, you know, if we're going to try to delight a customer, we can't make, well, we just do floors. It's like, okay, well, if that's what you think, if that's really your narrative and your story for your company, like, yeah, then you're just going to do floors and it's going to be fine and you might be okay, but you're not going to scale because nobody wants to be part of a company that just does floors. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm just curious as I, as I start to wrap up here with a couple of questions. Yeah. You guys, this five facets sounds really cool. It sounds like a very thorough. What do you kind of hope to accomplish in terms of like, do you have some grand scheme? Is it like help a million customer or clients? I mean, do you, what's, where do you see this evolving to? Yeah. You know, that's a really, that's a really great question. And it's only recently that we've brought this to the world, you know, and, and candidly, my own journey in some ways was, I always just thought I was going to be the one guy working with some clients and like living a pretty good balanced life. And we just kept having successes and successes and the company just kind of kept growing and we started gaining some traction. It was a little bit like, oh, okay. I I never really had the idea of, oh, I want to scale and I want to turn this into some kind of agency and, and do more things. But the market was kind of asking for it. And so for us, our mission has always been to align the misaligned. And what we mean by that is, hey, we're putting people's in, people and we're combining behavior and systems so that people and the businesses or businesses and the people that are in them can flourish. And so for us, it became, well, actually, we're being a little selfish here if, if we're not doing a better job of bringing this out and helping more people have successes. And so it is, you know, it's not a million businesses. It's not, you know, we don't, we don't have any disillusions of grandeur necessarily, but what we're aiming for is that the folks that need this have access to it, right? That's really what we're looking for here. And so that they take a systems, not a symptoms approach to solving their business and it'll transform the way they operate. And that's really what we're looking for is how do we create more alignment in more spaces more often? That's really cool. It's always a nice thing when you, uh, you know, start out and doing something and you get so much of a reaction to it. It kind of forces your hand in terms of, yeah. uh, building something bigger and better. Well, and candidly, I resisted it for a while. <laughs> like I'm just, 
so I, I was a reluctant, a reluctant, you know, kind of putting myself out there, but, but cool. I've been really thrilled with the response. I've been really thrilled with kind of how it's shaping up. So no, no regrets, but definitely reluctant. Oh, I could see three daughters and 50 animals would, <laughs> yeah, exactly. would make me reluctant. Yeah. Too. <laughs> yeah. Although you have a lot of mouths to feed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, so uh, one last question I'd love yeah. to end with. I like to end with like something in your journey, whether it be personal or business. Is there some tip you could provide us, something maybe actionable that we can apply to our lives or our business? Yeah, honestly, one of the one of the pain points that folks talk to us the most about is, oh man, we just have so many meetings. Like meetings just seems to be this one thing that like no one can figure out. And it's been a problem for thousands of years, it feels like. And I think there's really two really quick things that folks can do. Number one is get really clear about, do we actually need this meeting? Or is this a thing that we just do? So answering the question, like, what's this meeting for? And then being really clear and starting a meeting with what are the outcomes that we're trying to achieve in this in this conversation? And the reason outcomes are really important is because it points us to purpose and action. So we have a meeting formula we call impact meetings. And impact meeting stands for internal meetings with purpose and action. It is really based on let's talk about the things that actually matter and let's end with actionable things. Because what most makes, you know, if you ask somebody what makes a great meeting, it's we accomplish something right? Like we made a decision or we determined who's doing what by when. It's that simple almost. And there's you know hundreds of forms that you could take, but I would say have outcomes for every meeting that you're in. That's a good one. I uh, worked with a nonprofit several years back and they have all kinds of meetings, but the one main meeting, it was like two and a half hours. And the same thing would happen every time. There'd be a whole list of stuff to go over. You'd end the meeting with twice as long a list and not one thing. <laughs> <laughs> from the list was answered or completed. And so that is a common problem. Yeah. And it's, we get stuck in patterns in meetings. We get stuck in the pattern. And, you know, the meeting I, I dislike the most is the report out meeting. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't inform each other of what's going on. It doesn't mean we shouldn't know things. It doesn't mean there shouldn't be space for that. But if that's your entire meeting, it's an unnecessary meeting. There's no reason for you to pull that many people together to have a report out conversation. It's, well, report out on something and then know what you need around it. Hey, we're reporting out, but we have this question. We really like your support in making this decision. Or we have this issue and we'd like your help in processing how we get through that issue. Great. Now you just took that report out and made it something that engages the whole group in a meaningful way and identifies who's doing what by when. What do you think of one of the popular uh, scaling courses or scaling? It's actually a couple books believes in a daily huddle. So every day you get together, the, the critical people of a team get together and go over 10, 15 minutes of all the critical functions. What's your feeling around like a daily huddle? Yeah, I really like a daily stand-up for teams, for sure. Not, I mean, it depends upon the size of your company. If you're a 50-person sure. company, I wouldn't say have everybody in the room. If you have five people, sure, absolutely. And I think it's a really good touch point. And one meeting I would add to that uh, is at the end of a week, We, you know, the military calls them after action reviews. And I really like those meetings because it's essentially what worked and how do we repeat it? What obstacles did we face and how do we overcome them? Right. And you're asking, you're actually going through the process of reflecting back on your week, not just looking forward. And John Dewey would say, we don't learn by doing, we learn by thinking about what we do. You know, and the caveat is if you're not doing anything, you don't have a whole lot to think about. But that act of looking back and saying what worked and what didn't is really powerful. And so we have a process in the five facets we call the rhythm of the business. And what we do is we design 
What does a weekly, monthly, quarterly, and annual meeting cadence look like for you? And what's the purpose of all of those meetings? And what are you trying to accomplish in those meetings? So we kind of co-design a meeting cadence and structure with our companies, with our portfolio companies, in part because it is a common pain point and miscommunication happens quite frequently. But I love a, I love a daily standup because you you set the day with some intention and some clarity. Very cool. Good stuff. Hey, so your website is theevolveddifference.com. If you go there, you can get a free assessment. I think it's called the five facets assessment. You can click there. And then could you tell us, I think you also have a workshop, which if you type in podcast 25, you get a discount. What's that workshop about? Yeah. So we have, we have a series of three live workshops coming up. You can just click on the workshops tab on the website, but the first one coming up is called the leadership of trust. And from a behavioral perspective, one of the biggest things we hear regularly in working with our clients is our leadership team, or we just don't trust our team to do X. And so we have a designed process for how to how to actually kind of systematically build trust across your organization. And so this workshop is an opportunity for folks to participate, not only to understand the three core elements of trust, but to also design an action plan to accomplish trust across their organization. And as you said, we do have a discount code for those that are listening to this podcast is podcast 25. So if you go and you click on the link to join that workshop, as you go to sign up, just type in podcast 25 and you'll get a 25% discount. Very cool. So I'll put in the show notes at thinktyler.com, your, the, both the workshop, the five facets assessment uh, that they can take that's free. And then your website, theevolvedifference.com. Dave, you were awesome. I really appreciated the conversation. A lot of good stuff you threw out. Hopefully I can visit your goat someday. <laughs> I would love that. That'd be You were welcome anytime. You were welcome anytime. We'll go for a goat walk. Thanks, man. Have a great one, okay? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electric Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Ravelson. We're the founders of Electric Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electric to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Electricast.